episode 319 of the Global From Asia podcast. I'm always trying to figure out the URL. I don't know if y'all check out the website, but globalfromasia.com slash China dash ride. We're going for a ride. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Thank you, everybody, for choosing to download and listen to the Global From Asia podcast. You know, somebody brought it up to me. You know, a lot of people might be listening to less podcasts now with this pandemic and they're not commuting or traveling or on the road or on a plane or in a bike. Sound like a Dr. Seuss book, but you know, they're not traveling right now. Maybe you're not traveling, so you're at home or you're not moving much and um, maybe you're not listening to many podcasts. I don't know. Uh, I hope you're listening to us. I mean, you must be if this is in your ears right now but i do hope you enjoy these shows and i hope i hope they keep you company you know it is a lonely time i'll be honest i'm lonely up here in shenyang i was fortunate enough to have a friend of mine david ho uh, he's actually wasn't on the show a long time ago talking about his chinese employee management and uh, that was a good show and he shared interesting insights but he just came up as a friend he's actually um was the best man at my wedding and he is also the godfather of my children so it was really cool he could make it up here from Shenzhen flights and travel seems somewhat normal in China a lot of my friends in China said hey you should come down to Guangzhou or Shenzhen or Shanghai or Beijing and it's true I could but I personally am just too paranoid that there's gonna be some kind of news article I'm gonna read <laughs> when I'm in another city and they're gonna say outbreak in this place and nobody can travel and there's quarantine and I don't know I'm still kind of shaken up from being stuck away from my family for my months and uh, so I didn't make much moves but Dave did take the trip and the risk came out here we went to a botanical garden I don't know if some of you listen to or, or watch my video personal video blogs mikesblog.com slash vlog I have uh, those two so much content but anyways I'm kind of rambling here but I don't know. Hope you're listening to podcasts. This is an audio-only podcast. We do sometimes do the videos lately, but Kent and I, our guest today, we did uh, audio-only, and uh, we were hoping the connection stayed stable. It seems to. It was a longer conversation. I, I hope you enjoy it. I think it's a really good one. Kent Zaitlik, Kent and I met in 2012. We'll talk about it in the episode, but he goes through his whole journey. That's why I call it China-Ride, globalformation.com slash China-Ride. Talks about coming into China 2009, fascinated. You know, I think lots of us, myself included, were uh, fascinated with what we saw. And he went through the ride. He's gone on through the ups, and he talks about the crash, and he talks about coming back, and he talks about going through all kinds of different ventures. He's been in finance, he's been in uh, biotech, he's been in Amazon. So it's it's really a, a wild ride of a discussion, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I think this should inspire some of you. And he gives a lot of tips, and we, we wrap it up with some tips. And uh, after this show in a blah, blah, blah session, I will share some of my insights because it was a really long one, and I didn't want to take up much of his time. But I'll put some of my own tips and insights from what him and I talked about. He goes through so much, so I, I really thank Kent for sharing with us so openly. Nothing to sell, just really sharing. So thanks, Kent. Let's, let's tune into the show. We've been getting really good vibes in the GFAVIP.com member community. This is the VIPs, the people that love what we're doing here, love the show, love the content, want to get in inside. We have private calls, private forums, private groups, and we are doing, even next week, we're doing a private Lazada workshop. One of the members, don't want to call him out, but he was not willing to do it on a podcast, doesn't want to do it publicly, but he's willing to help out the members and share his Lazada experiences, how he opened up a Hong Kong company, how he's you know, selling in the Philippines, how he's getting his products from China, and he's gonna share that, we're gonna record it, but it's only gonna be for members, I'm sorry. I, I'm not really a good salesman, but I'm just trying to say, we gotta support the show. If you like what we're doing here, we do have some even more amazing stuff connecting with the other members. We have our Hot Seat Mastermind and other events for members only that supports the show but don't worry this podcast will stay free i love sharing free content but if you do like what we do and you want to get even more 
gfavip.com. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into another Global from Asia podcast. We always keep it real here and get you guys and gals some insights of uh, things happening on the ground in China and other parts of Asia. Today we're in we're in China again. I'm here, and my guest and friend with me, Kent Zaitlik, was with us, CEO of Mose.ai, and it's really great to have you on the show. Finally, Kent, uh, how, how's everything? Yeah, it's really good to be here as well. Um, everything's great, man. I mean, I'm well. Uh, apart from you know uh, the whole world going the into world collapsing, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> besides the world besides collapsing, besides twenty twenty, yeah, besides twenty twenty kicking our butts, like it, it's pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So a little bit of background about us. We met. I believe uh, 2012, you know, I can't believe that was eight yeah. years ago. Uh, probably was, yeah. I think it really was the summer of 2012. And uh, I remember it was maybe one of my, I had been to Shanghai before, but I came up from Shenzhen. And uh, that was, maybe I'm just not in the scene as much anymore. But back then I felt like that was when really the startup world was really kind of maybe just starting or, or really so open. You know, there was these meetups everywhere. You know, I think you invited me to speak at a, Oh, forgetting even the name of the brand of those meetups that you were helping with. Um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. There, there was a there was a bunch of them, but I mean, yeah, we we were it called Next Step. Yeah, Next Step. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was fun, and yeah, I mean, I just maybe I'm just getting older, or maybe I'm just not. I guess we're all stuck in our houses now too. But uh, you know, back then it was everybody was just open. And meeting people and events and uh, you know sharing and it was really awesome times and uh, it's also great you know you've been to some of the global from Asia events and the community so that's been awesome too and yeah I mean you've done so many different kinds of businesses I think when we met I think you're still in environmental biotech even then you were working with some various uh, investments and uh, biotechs at that time so um, I think it's I always like it for you to you know, as a guest to kind of give us a little bit of intro. I hope I didn't screw it up too much, but uh, you want to share a little bit about what you about yourself, Kent? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I first I first came to China actually in two thousand nine, uh, studying abroad in Fudan Dashia, uh, Fudan University, and so I was studying Chinese um, and uh, also finance as well in uh, Fudan University. And uh, I don't know, I just uh, I fell in love with China. I love the energy, I love the pace, and I, I really liked what I saw. I was like, man, this is, is really going strong. And, you know, I, I, mean, I was determined to learn the language. So um, as soon as I graduated, I was like, you know, I, I got to come back here. I have to become fluent uh, in the language, which I eventually did uh, become fluent uh, after a lot of pain and suffering <laughs> yeah. and a lot of hard work. But, um, but yeah, so I... I I graduated in 2010, uh, stayed, uh, that was like sort of like a little bit after the financial crisis. And so as you can imagine, you know, there was really not much going on and, you know, me graduating in finance and I really hated finance actually. And it's not really what I wanted to do. Um, what I really wanted to do was start a tech company. And I thought, you know, I had this grand ambition like, oh, if I, if I learned you know, if I learn the business and, and the finance and how money works, you know, I can start any business I want because at that time I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah, but that was that was totally wrong. <laughs> that, was a, uh-huh. that, was, that was a really wrong approach uh, to that. Um, definitely understanding the the engineering uh, and like you know either with computer science, you understanding the very sort of like very specific engineering detail or mathematics of what you're wanting to build. In that specific, you know, industry or subcategory is very important. But um, anyway, I, I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I realized I wanted to do tech, and it was so hard to get into tech, like specifically biotech in China. I mean, sorry, in the United States. And I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll go. You know, I, I bought a one-way ticket to China, not really having any, you know, plan in mind other than just, you know, getting really good in Chinese, and and then you know, we'll see what happens from there. Um, so eventually, I actually ended up starting for uh, started working for a company called E8. It was a startup with a bunch of like starry-eyed, you know, girls and, and gals, uh, guys and girls, uh, trying to save the world and yeah, trying to import yeah import technology from abroad, sustainable technology from abroad, 
and implemented them in, Ch in, the, in China. Um, yeah, you, you might remember uh, our good friend from there. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so so what ended up happening was that you know I, I worked for them for a bit. Um, I actually started a company, uh, helped start a company that was focused on um, aquaponic technology. So we were developing commercial aquaponics, uh, basically. And these are like um, basically what aquaponics is is uh, you can kind of think of it as combining aquaculture uh, to uh, hydroponics. So you use the fish uh, and grow the fish and use the water from the fish to actually pump it through a hydroponic system and use the nutrients from the fish that they excrete and use that to grow the plant. And it's sort of like a feedback, positive feedback loop. The fish, you know, create electrolytes and then uh, the plants then utilize those nutrients and then clean the water and it goes back to the fish. And then Basically, you're saving like 95% of uh, water that you would otherwise would be wasting uh, in a regular traditional uh, methodology of, of, of agriculture. So um, China really liked this. We were able to secure like a lot of land uh, from the government, the Chinese government, and we found an investor. We, we found you know all these people involved, and we came together to start to start this project and start the company. And you know, literally one week before. The engineer was going to fly over from the United States and start the project. Uh, the investor pulled the plug and ended up starting a whole new company uh, on the side, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then you can imagine the legal battle that actually incurred. Then everyone wanted to sue everybody at that point. It was a nightmare, and I was in the middle of everything. And yeah. everybody, you know, just it, it was just a, you know, it, it was it was crazy. Anyway, so. You know, my first company then collapsed because of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was in. Yeah. Hearing about, yeah, <laughs> on the side of hearing that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I was, I was sort of an indirect result of the collapse of the first company I joined ever in my life. So that was, that was great. Uh, you know, collapsing your first startup, but from that chaos came like you know three other sort of. Uh, after the, the, the dust settled and everything like that, three other companies actually ended up, you know, being developed that's focused on different types of like hydroponic systems, a new type of agriculture. And those companies actually went on and did and did quite all right. Um, and actually, you know, I, I, I was sort of I was very happy to see that, you know, you know, I think three or four companies were developed after that, you know, first tech picnic event. And of that, I think only one really sort of made it, you know. But I think three or four years later, they, they actually kept on building. So um, yeah, that was quite cool to see to see that happen take place. But I I just was like, okay, let me let me retreat back and and you know I wanted to get my hands in, involved in the the VC world. So I, I got involved in, in venture capital and started investing in like early stage high tech uh, startups and understanding how that mechanisms work. And I, I was associated with a company called uh, China Materialia, um, which, you know, two very smart PhDs who started this company. It's also another startup, it's a startup BC. They only had at that time 80 million RMB in, in management. And as I recall, you were one of the ones who, you, you were actually interested in, in getting some investment from us. Yeah, so I, I went point, there, right? I, pit I pitched at your office. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, you're you you're having a WeChat. I remember we had like a special WeChat. Yes, app, right? social agent. It was called Weibo Agent, but we moved. Yeah, we rebranded to be more diversified. But yeah, it was like a social search app and lead gen app on on Weibo or Chinese social media. Yeah, yeah. That was that was quite that was very cool and that that was a very cool experience because not only we were investing in early stage high tech startups that were really focusing on. Sort of the cutting edge of technology, and basically because they were material scientists, they were trying to actually bring in um, unique, uh, basically unique technologies um, into into China. And so these were like what we call high quay, right? Um, mm -hmm. Returnees. And so these were people from Stanford, from Harvard, with unique technologies and implementing them uh, in China. Um, and th these guys had 10, 15 years of experience of research. And so it was really cool. Um, you know, one of the one of the one of the uh, key um, aspects they were working on was actually like um, uh, cold uh, cold cathode nanotube, carbon nanotubes, which was really interesting. So you can actually sort of like create quick bursts of electrons um, 
uh, you know, just instantaneously. And this actually was kind of, you know, what we actually try to do is try to find like new markets for them to actually utilize the technology. Because a lot of times scientists and also, you know, many times like entrepreneurs, we come in and we have this great idea or we have this great technology, but we have no idea how to use it, right? Mm. Or, you know, where to use it. So what we did was um, at, at the VC is like we actually did a lot of consulting work for, for these types of companies where they had this technology and they didn't know how to use it. And so we would help them find specific markets uh, to utilize uh, and basically, you know, um, eject, uh, basically try to tap into those markets. And so for this market, they actually had to create an X-ray system using the cold cathode uh, carbon nanotubes. Um, and so, but then that became a whole ordeal and a very costly process because uh, X-ray, they couldn't find any of the component parts to actually uh, manufacture or develop the X-ray in China. So they actually had to then move and, and, trans and locate, uh, and the X-ray had to move to Japan to get all those specific parts for this, for this, yeah, for this X-ray. But the X-ray was so precise that you could actually X-ray the beating of the heart. Like as the heart beat, you could actually literally you know, on a millisecond sort of moment, you can actually completely capture the moment that a, a, uh, the heart beats. That's how precise this x-ray system was. And oh, wow. uh, as you know, China, you know, having x-rays everywhere, right? When you go into the, <laughs> yeah, go, you know, when you go anywhere, you have x-rays, right? Following you around in China, specifically in the, in the, in the metro area, which most foreigners don't really know or understand because in, in Europe, you know, there's nothing like that. You don't even have like to pay if you don't want to in Europe. You can just kind of like, there's no even like anything stopping you in Europe. So in China, like no one knows this, but like every NTR station that you go to, every metro station you go to has, you have to put your bag through these like, huge x-rays, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so that, that, that was their main focus is to actually, you know, create the x-rays. And they, and they did that. They launched that and everything, but it just became a, a real sort of like struggle for them because they just get the logistics right on, on all the, the sourcing and, and the materials and, and everything. It's just like, and so we actually had to come in and help them with that as well because we came with the idea. It's like, okay, let's do x-ray. Maybe that's a very big market in China. And then we actually had to figure out how to source all of that uh, to kind of create a whole sort of like very intuitive system, right? And a very efficient way to actually bring to China, right? Okay. Because then if you're, if you're then create manufacturing in Japan, then you actually have to go through all these sort of, uh, then you have tax, you have, you know, tariffs and you have all these things, right? So it's a big nightmare. Yeah, then, yeah, man. You know, yeah, uh, so, yeah, this is pretty, what? this is pretty cool, man. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then after that, I, I decided I want to get, you know, after that, I, I also, we also did um, what's called uh, multinational, we worked a lot with multinationals and we did open, what's called open innovation consulting. And so we were consulting on like, you know, several different um, companies, um, Basically, uh, you know, there were some large companies that are like Shell, Shell Oil and, and others, but they were interested in actually understanding the technology that was actually in China and trying to piece together a solution. And um, for Shell, for instance, what they were trying to do is they were trying to actually, you know, drill holes extremely, you know, very, very, very far down. And what they actually ended up doing was actually finding um, the same... Uh, cameras that are actually used in the International Space Station, we actually docked the station. They use those same cameras to, to um, develop a new type of camera for drilling extremely low depths, like 2,000 you know, meters or, or more. Actually, I think it was like two miles or something like that. Um, mm. so, so they have to have to be very precise when actually going way down. So then they, they created these like really intense like uh, um, lenses for that okay and so we, we we worked with shell for several uh for similar sort of aspects and doing also like mergers and acquisitions and, uh in china uh to acquire specific type technology or to acquire specific manufacturing um uh like uh, logistics or logistical sort of uh um yeah distribution channels or if you're looking at like different parts of logistics uh you know, in terms of like manufacturing different specific parts, you know, they, they were looking at different ways to, to make um, this area more efficient, right? And so we would come in and help them with that area. Okay. So that, was a, that was a very interesting 
Uh, and then from there, I went to engineering uh, for like sustainable engineering. So then we were creating, we were doing sort of like you know, I was working with uh, uh, Alex, Alessandro Pastani. You, you, you know Alessandro, right? Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, incredible, incredible guy. This guy is like super just, man, he's probably one of the best bosses I've ever, you know, come in contact with. I mean, he's really just incredibly sharp, very hardworking. It just, just pushes you to the edge. But I learned incredible amounts from him. But, um, yeah, I stayed at that company, which B, uh, designing the environmental enterprise for three years. And what we were doing is like trying to actually make um, bring sustainability to the luxury market, actually, because we found like a niche in the market because nobody was really doing it. And so he cornered the complete, he cornered the whole market, right? So he was doing, you know, he started off when I, when I got to him, he was like, I think five years in. Uh, and so he just became cash flow positive. And so I came in. And we were doing uh, basic, you know, lead certification. I don't know what lead is, but it's uh, basically sustainable certification for, you know, uh, different building structures. And just to, to show like, you know, hey, we, we were able to accomplish X, Y, and Z uh, sustainability metrics, right? And we helped them achieve those metrics, you know, okay. working with the architects and the engineers. Um, and so that's kind of like how, how we, we got in. And so he started working with Chanel, Gucci, you know, Issa Laurent. And Prada, you know, and then we start to then become the number one, uh, uh, you know, go to boutique company for the specific new certification. Okay. And and so and then he we were able to close like we, he started off I think when I, when I first started we I think we did like at that point there was like sixty projects and then by the time it ended uh, I think we had all, all over maybe two or 300 projects worldwide in 25 countries. It, it was ridiculous. This is great, man. Yeah. This, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, you gave me some flashbacks from, from, uh, yeah, back in the day. Um, I, I'm going to say something. Then, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then what was cool about that? Well, so yeah, I mean, so just fast forward, like towards the end of it, we didn't create a product, um, which was very cool. We created a, so, you know, we got this idea, you know, he, he wanted to actually start doing, I, I don't know if you remember, um, in, in Shanghai, you know, we were working with um, uh, different companies, but there was a IEQ testing equipment, I don't know if you know, the indoor air quality. I, I know that, uh, yeah, I remember I have apps that tell me, like, the air quality, yeah. Yeah, no, but there was, um, I don't know if you remember, there, so there's a company uh, in, you know, another startup that was in, in uh, Shanghai, from Shanghai, uh, that was focusing on indoor air quality. And what they did was they created this sort of um, a uh, indoor air quality unit, right? Um, uh, and, and they actually started manufacturing in China. And what they did was it, it was basically like this whole uh, very, it, it was sort of like very sort of high grade indoor air quality, uh, looking at like CO2 levels, looking at PM 2.5, PM 10, you know, uh, I had five different levels of indoor air quality metrics that they were measuring. And these were uh, extremely, uh, very, very like um, high grade machines that they were utilizing uh, inside buildings. And so they would, they would basically put these, uh, put these machines and put these, uh, these, um, uh, yeah, I guess these machines inside uh, these buildings skyscrapers and we worked with them to actually create a completely different service uh, that actually also um, looked at air uh, energy usage so then we started to actually create a complete package a complete system that actually looks at the air and energy within buildings and uh, we started to actually uh, so I, I actually built that out and I worked with Chanel and Prada and Gucci to actually put down to their stores in Shanghai and then also in Korea and in, in Italy. So that oh was God. like, that was a really cool, very, very interesting sort of like uh, aspect. And then from there, I just kind of got the um, the, the drive or I, I got the confidence to then uh, start my own company. And that, that became the biotech AI company, mostly AI. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, so, so then I've been doing Mosey AI for the past five years and we raised we raised money, we raised a hundred thousand um, dollars. 
And uh, yeah, so it's a bioinformatics and AI. And I, you might know Sophia the robot. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, so the AI doctor behind Sophia the robot is my co-founder. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dr. Ben Gertzel. Uh, and so basically, I I basically reached out to Ben. I, I got connected to him by someone. And this is before he was like famous now, but and sort of before Sophia was famous. Um, and so I reached out to him in like 20, I think it was like 2014 uh, or 2015. And uh, I started working with him actually, like while I was at uh, B. And um, yeah, I, you know, he had this sort of like, you know, this, this thing, is, this project he was working on, I was basically combining AI and applying to bioinformatics. And I was like, uh, you know, I, I got starstruck. I was like, yes, this is great. Yeah. And I realized that, you know, that this company will not go forward unless I just, you know, quit my quit my job at B and go full throttle to the company. Okay. And so that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what I did. So I went full throttle um, with Mosey, uh, and and you know, I basically ended up moving to Shenzhen, and that, that's where we met up again. Yeah, right? I remember you reached out to me. You came down to Shenzhen. So yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm 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 even I'm not so 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 science into up on science but uh maybe you can give us kind of a layman's explanation of of what your what the current what your current business is doing yeah so 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 what basically we're doing is um we're creating um machine learning applications and uh basically just applications to accelerate biomedical research and the way we're trying to do that is trying to understand how does disease, um, right from the genes all the way from other different parts of uh, parts of the body, actually correlate to disease, right? So, you know, why why does a, a disease, you know, become a disease, right? Mm. Uh, either it's genetic or polygenetic, or there's some type of like kink in the body right, that happens. So the the problem is that there's so much information out there. And there's, it's not, it doesn't all sort of like nicely fit together. So what our system does is, is incorporate many different types of databases with all this information. And it combs all this information together and based on uh, the users uh, and what they're trying to look for, it connects this data and helps them figure out the connection between uh, basic uh, you know, public data and their own private data and look at the connections between that. And, and points into the right direction of how to actually accelerate their, uh, basically to accelerate the research. Okay. So they have to like comb through all this data. But during this process, actually, um, I have a very good friend uh, who uh, who's been actually building products on Amazon uh, and selling selling products on Amazon, right? And uh, he has over I think seventy or eighty products that he's he's created and sold on Amazon. So. He creates like 12 or to 15 new products in, in private labels every year. And, um, and he came up to me and he's been, he's been, he's a really good friend of mine. He's like one of my best friends. And at the time, actually, um, like four, so he's created a company like 14, four or five years ago. And so he's just, he started off with, um, actually just like selling, like creating with his business partner. They created a, these jar openers, right? And all I did was like recreate these jar openers, and they, they, you know, they're very good. He's very good at doing design work, so he does design work, and they sold these jar openers. They each put in like two hundred dollars, right? And uh, and so they did that, and you know, then they they were able to make some money from that, and like oh, and so they invested back that back into another product, and then another product, and then another product. Uh, and so they work with factories from India, from China, and from Argentina. And they've actually never, you know, at this time, they never met any of the, the factories, actually. Okay. Uh, for four years, for, for four years, they didn't meet any of the factories or the people. They were basically just, you know, they, they found them online or they found them through different brochures. Uh, they had these catalogs, right? They just found most of these guys through catalogs. And then, um, you know, they, they looked through all these things and then, uh, they found and tested the right one, right, um, and, and the right products. And then they found, and then they just like thought, oh, this product looks pretty good, or this this specific manufacturer looks good. This, they have a pretty interesting product. And then what would they do is they would work with the manufacturer to make the product better, right? And they would iterate and iterate and iterate. Um, 
and my friend is just you know so they actually are the best sort of couple for this like business couple um or business partners for this because my friend is one of those like sort of really crazy um uh thinking and and just intuitive types right and he stays up all night so he works he will work he'll get up at like one and then he'll start like working around like you know 9 p.m or 8 p.m and then all the way to 6 a.m okay and then and he'll he'll go to bed at 6 a.m and that's sort of because most of the factories that he works with now are in China. yep yeah but then he also likes you know he's one of those you know, night owls, like extreme night owls, where he just likes to work at night. Well, that works for yeah. him. I know. I that's, I'm the opposite, man. That's why I moved here, cause, uh, yeah, I was tired of being up late talking to factories when I was in the U.S. But, but that's cool. So yeah, I mean, this is this really cool story. So, so then, um, yeah, of course, I think probably listeners are interested on the Amazon side here. And, do you? I know some people are sensitive to share too much about the product or, or what, but um, I'd love to hear how you found this product or, or, or discovered it. Yeah, well, well, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's, I'm, I'm pretty open to it. I mean, the thing is, like, uh, I mean, he, again, he has 70 products and he's working on, he works on 15 new products every year. And so um, one thing he's been doing is, uh, so, he, you know, he, he created all these products, right? And he started to, um, and then he stopped pulling me in, right? He's, he's just slowly starting to make me, you know, do more and more and more. And I, I would help him here and there. And what, what happened was he ended, up, he ended up coming to China. Okay. And he flew here eventually, yeah, four years. He eventually flew here and I met up with him. And um, he ended up like, like you know, uh, the factory that he, he uh, and so what happened was actually right when I moved to Shenzhen, that's when he actually started coming here for the Guangzhou Fair. And so uh, we started to actually, you know, and then I said, okay, I'll, I'll go to the fair with him. So I went to the fair with him, and we started to go, you know, we'll, you know treasure hunting, right? Okay. Uh, kind of like how we call it, yeah. And so, you know, when he first came for the first time, he 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 did the whole fair, right? And that was that was a very that was That's very exhausting. Dumb, right? he, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was that, like three, I, three or four weeks. It was, yeah. He was like, yeah. There was no, no reason for him to do that. Um, but what he ended up, he ended up doing was uh, he ended up going there for like. Until now, what he does is he'll, he'll go just for the specific you know uh, phases that he finds of interest. And so yeah. he'll just hit up the phase, and I'll do like a phase like for maybe like three days, and that's that's all he really needs to actually get what he needs from that. Um, and it's much faster because then you can roll through like, you know, you can get like maybe 10, 15 new product ideas, right? And new products that he can work with. Um, but the way he's very different from most people is that he'll work on a product. So a recent product that, you know, he was creating was like socks. And like he'll work on the, on the, on the socks for like, uh, he put about a year and a half of research and development, like for, he, you know, for his research and development on just working with the socks. Crazy. So he worked with the manufacturer, yeah, and the manufacturer actually never really created socks before, but he's created other items that were very similar to these socks, kind of similar, right? They, they, they created stuff similar, and so they started to create the sock, and, you know, they had to go through these the threading, and, the, and they were not any socks, they were like bamboo socks, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, it's just, it just takes, it takes a lot of um, focus and, and so he just keeps on going at it and going at it and going at it, and he'll test it and test it. So he'll do, he'll, he'll get the sock, you know, get a sample, and then bring it back to the United States, test it out, and then you know, kind of, and then he'll, he'll put the wash and stuff in some of the socks, right? And then yeah. again, he'll do it again and do it again and do it again. I think he had like maybe nine or ten iterations of that. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, so, just socks, and uh, okay. before he got the right one, before he actually started selling. So yeah. how are so yeah, so it's good he needs somebody like you here for sure. Uh, so how does yeah. he protect protect all this IP and all this work that he's doing? You know, it sounds I don't know. I mean, it sounds. To I me- mean, he just he just has like really good rapport. So he's been working with this one factory for like three years, um, and they've made a lot of money. So you know, he started off like I said, like you know, two you know, putting two hundred dollars. I think him and his and his buddy put two hundred dollars right inch the first product. Now, now they make about two, $2 million a year between these two of them. Okay. Yeah. 
in, in, in their products. So they make about a hundred thousand dollars in sales every month. And, um, and now, and that's included, and they want to double that now for next year. And they want to double that for the following year. They want to double that, double, double. That. So that's why they're coming with better and better products. But the way that they do it is they have just a really great relationship with their with their factory. Okay. Uh, that's like number one. And then the, the factories, I mean, sometimes they'll, and then, you know, of course, like on Amazon, people will start to copy them because they're, you know, they're like number one. They're, I think they're the 10,000th, one in 10,000th seller. Do, do you know about that? can't say i do okay so when, once you reach a certain level on amazon you become like you, you get a certain like you know level so i mean part of it is like you're working with the algorithms right working with the, you know the selling algorithms you're working with the pp you know the ppc uh algorithms to try to get, actually get you know get that game right and then the other part of it is actually like you know the logistics and warehousing so they have those warehousing and then they you know then you actually have like amazon prime and you have to actually Sort of like get involved in that area, so then your your Prime accounts, you know, are then stored, you know, to the warehouse, and your, your Prime products are then stored in the warehouse, right? Um, so you reach that sort of level, but they they're the one in ten thousand seller, uh, may, meaning that they're that they do that they're one out of ten thousand, you know, they they rank month the highest percentile in selling. In got selling it. Products. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're one of the, the the best sellers on on Amazon, and they have and they you know I mean they're doing easily more than a hundred thousand dollars of sales a month. So they're pretty good. Uh, just for two guys, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two guy man. operation. Yeah, yeah that's but, definitely awesome. But they have but they have designers, uh, you know, all throughout the world, um, and and then of course the manufacturers are in China, and they just work really well with the manufacturers and. You know, my friend being able to stay up all night, he just is able to just work with them consistently. And then me being here has been able to speed the process up for um, our particular product. So one thing is like he, he got, he, you know, he reached out to me and he's like, hey, you know, like, you know, let's get a product going, let's get a product going. So eventually, like, we started working together about on that product. And so, so um, yeah, I mean, basically, it's just it's underwear. But um, me, I have a very specific focus on sustainability yeah. and environmentalism, and so that's why I decided to like you know we want to work with new types of like materials that are more sustainable. Yeah, that's so, true. I like it too. I mean, especially nowadays, we need to yeah all focus on sustainability, and uh, it's also a good yeah. it's also a good story. You know, I I can picture the branding even I can picture the you know the story of the brand you know it, it does make sense too um yes this has been a cool little story i mean i i think i think uh you know what what would you say to somebody like you know kent in 20 2009 you know i know you you kind of mentioned some things earlier like you you thought you could learn finance and do any business and that was wrong. I mean, is there things, you know, maybe we can kind of, uh, I know it's been, it's also been amazing catching up and hearing and maybe some lessons learned, the school of hard knocks from Kent and China and all these ventures you've done. And yeah, like, but you know, you you kind of hit your, you, you kind of said, Oh, the first one was a failure, but I think that's part of the game. You know, that's part of the process. You know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I failed multiple times too, you know, I think that's just, it's better than not taking action, right? And I think that's the only way to learn and to grow. But is there some things you want to share, like lessons learned, school of hard knocks for maybe people uh, inspired by today? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on what you want to do, right? I mean, um, like like my friend, I mean, one of the major things for him, like he, he just jumped in and just did it, you know, I mean, you know, the, the one who started creating products in China. You, know, you just, I mean, if, if that's what you're really focused on, then, then yeah, I mean, I think just getting involved and in knowing all the, you know, knowing a lot, of, you know, following a lot of people um, who are doing well in the industry, but then, you know, trying to like, you know, learn for yourself and investing in yourself and in, investing in courses. Yeah, that's what he did as well. He invested a lot of courses and, you know, he does a lot of the, his own designs and, you know, Illustrator and Photoshop. You know, like he takes a lot of courses, and he actually goes off and he'll he'll go to these like events uh, that actually he'll pay like maybe sometimes two thousand dollars for to just go there and learn how to actually get you know 
for instance, how to get products into stores and such. And so just never stop learning. Like I think that's one thing you have to really, I mean, learning is so central. It's so key that the, the people that I see who do best, and they continue to learn no matter what. Like, and, and they learn the really hard stuff too. Um, and I think like just focus on things that interest you, you know, rather than like what other people are doing, really focus on the, the things that really interest you and really focus on that, on that learning. I mean, if I were to go back in college, you know, uh, as, you know, entering college, I would definitely focus on like engineering and, you know, biotech type stuff. Because that's, that's what I'm trying to do right now. Because what I eventually want to do is I want to actually start creating synthetic bio materials and apply that to, um, you know, into the products I'm building right now for like underwear, socks and, that, and other sort of things. Uh, that's what I eventually would like to do. Um, but I mean, having that, that very technical knowledge is so key and it's so important because, you know, oftentimes it's hard to find that person or if you do find that person and they're going to be employed, you have to pay them a lot of money. Mm -hmm. so oftentimes that, that becomes the most sort of like central area. And the thing is like my, my previous startup, like Mosey AI and stuff like that. I mean, the, the biggest thing that I, I really just, I hated most and what was preventing me from actually being able to go further was because I didn't understand the technology side by mm. any means. I didn't understand the computer science. I didn't, I didn't have a firm understanding of the biology and I couldn't speak to my customers and I couldn't relate with them at all unless you're a scientist. And so that's, that's very, that becomes very tough. Like, you know, and, and I, I would say that every, every area that I failed in, I failed because I didn't have a very firm technical knowledge of that area. And but before jumping in, because usually what I do is I'll just jump in before actually having a firm grasp understanding of what's going on. Because I felt like, oh, you know, I'll just learn it as I go. But that's actually really not the case because the thing is when you're going, you're too busy going and you're not busy enough like actually learning. So you really have to set aside a significant amount of time into learning uh, and learning correctly and learning right and then applying that and not just like running around, you know, like a, like a hamster in a wheel, right? You're running around, but you, you're oftentimes like not going the right direction because you don't actually have a firm understanding of actually what's going on. So developing a firm understanding of that specific industry or area that you want to get involved in is key. It's super key. It's very central. And then also understanding yourself and understanding like what, what are your strengths and weaknesses and understanding. And then if you, if you have certain weaknesses, find the people who can fill in the void, right? Like that, that's also extremely central. I mean, my friend was able to do so well because he found somebody who was more business focused. I mean, they make an incredible team, you know, because they were able to find that. And, and yeah, I mean, business partners is very important. I mean, you need to find people that you respect. I mean, that, that, that you can get along with, um, that are just not, and, and I guess also who are closer to your age, because that was another big problem with mine before when I went and got myself involved with Ben, I thought, oh, you know, everything will be fine, but you know, he's 20 years my senior. Yeah. And relating to those kinds of people, I mean, it's very hard. And then they don't take you seriously. And um, it's, it's very, it takes a lot of effort to drive the company. And then they just won't really give you the time of day if they don't, if they don't think that you're, you're willing. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very important to be extremely good at selecting your business partners. Um, you can't just pick whoever. You need to really be... Um, methodical and who you pick to be on your team. I think it's very, very important. Uh, and, and especially understanding yourself and where, where your weaknesses lie and uh, the strengths of the and weaknesses of, of everyone around you who's working with you. And then like realizing the, you know, certain weaknesses and trying to strengthen yourself, especially knowledge, you know, um, and ascertain that knowledge to the best of your advantage by any means necessary. Right. Um, and, and, and really strive for that. That that's that's so key and central to your success. And, and never stop, right? Like set aside every day like two three hours of just learning, because that's so important to what you're doing. And then execution, of course, and building, continue to build. And I think also it's very important is that we have this sort of idea that, you know, um, oftentimes it's like you know you know 
to be successful, you have to be lucky. Well, that's not really true. To be successful, you have to be consistent. And you have to be diligent. You have to be disciplined. And you have to just attack every day with the same amount of effort, right? Um, and you have to also be, um, you know, you have to understand that bad things will happen. Like COVID-19, right? Like this is a black swan moment, but it always happens. And the, the companies that will prevail are the ones that already have thought about something like this happening, right? And prepared for it. You know, having a lot of cash on hand and, and you know, having, preparing for the worst. So preparing for the worst and, and, and really striving and building and being consistent is, is, and being disciplined uh, with learning and building and execution is key, you know, what they call like the 20 mile march, like every day, be consistent, you know, put in, you know, the, you know, the, the eight hour work, you know, that's necessary to actually build. If you want to have, you know, 12 products every year, well, be consistent and build 12 products every year, you know, and, and, and make that, you know, whatever your goals are, make sure you frame those goals, make sure you have very uh, focused, and empirical and use actually empirical evidence as well. I mean, test, test, test as much as you can. Like your products will probably fail in the beginning, but you need to understand why and you need to be very uh, empirically focused and, and, and data driven. So before you make any choices, you need to understand, you know, are you actually really solving a problem, right? Is there a problem? Like what are the customers, you know, and, and, and be just extremely ruthless about understanding the problem that you're trying to solve. And then when you actually solve the problem, use an MVP, right? I mean, put a little bit amount of resources into figuring out, if, okay, like let's let's create this MVP because then we understand from all the data that we've gathered that this is going to solve the solution, it's going to solve the problem. And then uh, you fire that bullet, right? Uh, and you see if it works. You see if the MVP actually is working and solving a problem. And if it does, great, then, then build upon that and, and then, you know, iterate and become better and better. And then you put more and more money and resources into that, right? So that you can actually, you know, go big. But don't go big, you know, in the beginning. Uh, I would say you want, to, you want to test a lot because most of your assumptions are going to be wrong in the beginning. Um, and, and iterate, you know, continually iterate, continually improve, continually innovate. If you don't innovate, you're going to die. And that's actually how you, you defeat the whole IP problem that people, you know, think they have. Yeah. You need to continually innovate, right? I mean, people are always scared, oh, they're going to steal my IP. Well, just keep on innovating. You have to be, everyone's going to copy you no matter what. If you have a great product, you're going to be copied. Yeah. The key to actually, you know, the key to doing what my friend does is he just innovates like crazy. And he continues to innovate all the products, you know, every year, better and better and better and better. And like, you know. And because no one is doing it, especially in this industry and, 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 you know, selling on Amazon, like no one's thinking about quality, right? No one's thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, so you have to really be consistent in quality and, uh, to win in, in Amazon, you have to make sure you're going to, you're going to get at least a 400 or 500% ROI. Right. So that's, that's also very key. Um, you know, you need to be able to, to, to do that. Um, you know, uh, because if you're not going to be able to actually sell a product, you know, at it at its cost at 400 percent, 500 percent, then you're not going to be making any money, right? Yeah. So you have to actually you have to at least sell that. So that means you have to you have to really focus on quality, rather than trying to barter like better prices. Because bartering better prices, everyone is doing that, and you're just going to get left in the dust. Yeah. Then it becomes a price competition, and you're not going to be making any money. I mean, I've seen guys who are trying to sell their companies and I, and I ask them, okay, what is your margin? And they tell me like 10% or, or, or 15%. i am like, that's nothing. I mean, you're not going to be able to sell their company on a 10% or 15% margin, right? Yeah. My friend is, 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 is my friend's margin is 40, 50%. I mean, that's where you want to be. And the way you're able to get there is by creating very high quality products and, and, folk, and really putting a lot of effort uh, and working very closely with, with the manufacturers to create better and better products and keep on innovating every year. Like, you know, keep on adding new things, keep on trying to make things better and better and better. And that's the only way you're going to be able to beat your, your people, not by, you know, trying to beat on better prices. That's kind of like what the lowest 
uh, of the Amazon sellers do because they're not going to be making that much money from that. And it's just become like a rat race then at that point. So yeah. if you want to sort of like really sort of operate at the, at the height, you need to really focus on research and development. You need to really focus on innovation, innovating, you know, iterating consistently um, and trying to beat whatever's on the market as best you can by, by continually bettering the product. Right, that's the only way you can be able to beat your your competition, especially if if you're working with um, manufacturers in China. Right. Agreed, man. Yeah, I mean, damn, you just unloaded a lot. Of total uh, appreciate. Yeah, uh, there's so many ways we can go here, but we're already again to the hour mark. So you know, um, yeah. But I guess my just for the margin part, I think just to make sure people understand. So. 400% from China cost, right? So if you buy it for, yeah, yeah, if you buy it for uh, $5, sell it for $20, right? Just so people yeah. understand that. Um, yeah. Okay. And then uh, my last one I do want to ask, you know, there's people listening and you've been in China, you, you know, I think you had similar intentions, you know, the energy and the, the hustle and everything uh, attracted here and you're still here. Is that, I mean, do you think that's an advantage or a disadvantage? You know, within, of course, Amazon, I see the advantages for product development, but maybe even in, a, in what you're working on with this science and technical is, is it, you think you're better I mean, hus- 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 hustle, you mean, you mean is, is hustling an advantage, you said? Oh, no, I mean, being in China. Oh, um, I mean, for, for specifically uh, Amazon or type stuff or, or for what? Uh, maybe I could leave it open-ended, but I guess definitely first, I, I don't know, for the science stuff, I'm thinking, you know, I know we're not in that topic anymore, but maybe uh, maybe for, I think Amazon, I think it's clear there is advantages for the factory manufacturing. So I guess I'm just yeah, thinking. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think it depends. Like, I mean, you know, uh, I, think it, I think it makes sense, though, to be closer to your, um, should you be closer to your customers? Is very important um, because uh, the thing is, like, as, as long as you are sort of connected by, by WeChat and stuff, I mean, the, the advantage I have here is that I actually can meet in person um, the factories, like well before this whole COVID thing. But I could, I, I was meeting them like every week and or every other week. Or well, that's because I, I set up this thing. But I would like the iteration, it, you know, the, the development process was much faster. So. You know, I think if you're just starting out, um, then it, it's clear that you, it's better to be in America because that's where you actually have to like, you know, deal with the warehousing and deal with like, you know, the pro- like actually shipping and all that kind of stuff and actually, you know, be close to your customers. Like you want to be able to be able to get the products and then test it on your customers, which is going to be in America, right? I think that's very important. Um, like you can't really do that here. I mean, you probably can do that here in Hong Kong a little bit. You can have some, a few testers, but um so the the advantage of being in, in Hong Kong would then be just really sort of like the development part, uh, which I think it does have an advantage. Uh, so this is just looking at Amazon. Um, me being here in China in general, though, I mean, I have a really I have a really strong understanding of like you know, I can speak you know Mandarin now, and I have an understanding of how Chinese people work, um, and I can connect with them very well, and you know I understand WeChat and know all these things, but at the same time. Like my friend was able to actually have all these really strong connections and build up this company already, being in America, never having set foot in China ever in his life, uh, and already built up a pretty strong, robust company. Um, and only he started making two million a year. That's when he actually decided to come to China. And so, yeah, um, yeah. So he was already doing very well, but then you know he realized that making trips to China actually you know was a way more efficient way. And then actually, me being here, I was able to do QC. Um, much faster for him and uh, so right now what happens is like we'll have several factories send me some some samples and I can test out those samples and it and rather than actually taking a few weeks or a week you know maybe two weeks or something it'll take like you know a day or two right and then be right on my doorstep and I can test them out and I can see how they work and then um, you know uh, and then and then we work our way to a final product and then I, that final product will be sent out you know, we'll have a major milestone and then that will be sent, you know, to America and then they'll test it over there. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, having China definitely has developed 
uh, in me a very sort of like hustler uh, mentality. And you definitely get that by being here. But I think, you know, in general, like, if you're a hustler, you're a hustler, right? I mean, I think you can be a hustler anywhere. Yeah. Um, in the U.S. and otherwise. I think, uh, but learning language and having the opportunity of being here, you, you get in the, inside the mind of China and Chinese and how they operate and, and how you, you can actually work with them. Because I don't think China's going to go anywhere in terms of being the manufacturing, you know, basis of the world. So I think that's going to be clear. Um, and you definitely have this you know, advantage and disadvantage, but um, I think it's best though uh, if you can if you can do it, you know, having a base in China and also in the United States at the same time. Um, but if you if you can't, uh, then starting off in the U.S. is better because it's better to be closer to your customer. Um, because that's that's who you're really trying to serve, right? Yeah, man. Um, I think that's a great place to yeah. I mean, wrap up today's. Really, a surprising episode. I uh, um, got a lot out of this, and I hope, I hope, I'm sure listeners did too. And I hope you enjoyed sharing, Kent. Um, so, where where can people find you, or you know, any links or uh, websites that you'd like to uh, share with us? Yeah, I mean, uh, you can just go on uh, LinkedIn. I mean, and, okay. and search Ken Zaitlik. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the, the easiest way that I'm usually sort of connected to people by. Oh, okay. Um, professionally. Uh, and then um, mozi.ai, M-O-Z-I.ai is my website. I mean, all okay. of it's not really much there. I'm sort of in the process of transitioning uh, through Mozi uh, as I, as I want to get more involved in uh, synthetic biology. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm focusing more on synthetic biology and also in in uh, my underwear uh, in our company. Uh, awesome. But uh, I want to eventually, my, my goal is eventually to apply, you know, synthetic biology um, and develop new types of uh, synthetic, uh, new types of materials, just as sustainably based materials, and then develop new products or apply that to new products uh, and sell them in, in the United States or you know, throughout the whole world. So, okay. Awesome, man. This has been fascinating. Thanks, thanks, Kent. And uh, yeah, keep on, like, Keep on, keep on grinding, man. Three, two to three hours yeah, of learning a day, dude. I don't know. I, I'm behind you on there. I even heard, I, I don't know. I think at least even 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, but of course, if you can get to those two to three, but that, that's a, that's a great. Yeah, I mean that that's major. I mean, uh, if, if I mean, yeah, if you can at least do one hour of study, I think I think it's it's very good. I mean, at least at least one hour. But I mean, two two hours is good. Uh, but I think one hour of really solid like studying. Uh, really makes a big difference yeah. uh, every day. I mean, awesome. it's only just like even 20, 30 minutes. I mean, what's most important is consistency, doing it every day mm-hmm. and, and having a very structured uh, learning plan. So, yeah. Okay. That's the wrap, man. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Are you looking for a new product or service in the cross-border e-commerce, cross-border trade industry? We do have a pretty extensive directory of reviews that gets some pretty good attention global from asia.com slash reviews it's where we try our best to write up some overviews of different services and logistics and software in in trade uh, in communities events uh, a lot of times they are, are from our partners and our community and we try to be as unbiased as possible and we try to let you in the community also submit your review there if you want to check it out give some reviews, give some feedback, suggest some other comment to be added. Globalformasia.com slash reviews. Check it out. Thanks again, Kent. I, I really, I thanked him again after the recording and he was, we're still talking after the show, after the recording. And, uh, you know, I was saying, you know, he, he gives us so much insights and, uh, there's other ways to think about it too. You know, he, he studied like finance and business in school and then he, he decided, like you said, he switched into becoming like the scientist, the uh, technology person. So he's he feels that he had a, had a lot of catching up to, a lot of learning to do. And then uh, after the recording, we were also discussing it with the partners in the Amazon business. He says one partner's the designer or the artist, and the others like the PPC, the analytics, the inventory. And I said. Uh, and again, this is, I wish I had kept recording. It was like already an hour call discussion interview, but, uh, 
you know, he was saying, I said, this is what I call the artist and the garbage man. So what I say with Amazon or e-commerce businesses or product-based businesses, you know, I've also worked in tech startups, you know, like he said, we talked about it in the show, the tech startups. Tech startups usually need like a programmer and then you need like a biz dev sales. And then sometimes there's like a third partner is kind of like the designer, the UX, the, the maybe uh, understands how to like kind of make the website uh, usable, which is very important for a web-based business. So usually, you know, at least two. And I think in an e-commerce business is two. And one partner is the product person. Maybe I call it the artist in my course I have in Global Formation of VIP. I talk about the artist and I talk about the garbage man. So the artist is the person that knows the product, that loves the product, that loves the customer, the avatar, that understands the consumer, the buyer, the market, that likes to go to trade shows or likes to kind of understand the trends in the market. And I think the other person is the garbage man. And no offense, but that kind of came when I, I, I think I heard it somewhere many years ago, but that's the person that's doesn't care if they own a garbage-based business. They don't care what they sell. They're not attached to the product. You know, a lot of times I call Chinese sellers, many of them garbage men, because they don't care um, what product they sell. They just care, is it profitable? Is it good uh, niche? You know, can I get, uh, Do is it not too competitive, but it is enough, enough demand for me to make money? That's what they're looking at. They're the numbers person. So, you know, Ken's saying he's kind of transitioned from learning in school to be the numbers person to moving towards the artist or the scientist or the programmer or the experts. But I think, you know, you can't do everything. Honestly, this is my mistake. I try to do everything. I want to know everything, you know, and I think that's almost a weakness of trying to do everything. You have to build a team. I'm not saying I know how to do it perfectly, but I think that if you look at successful, successful ventures, you know, you it's like the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain, right? So you can't really switch. I try to do that. Honestly, what I try to do is my morning is my maker time. I think it's uh, Paul Graham. I, I, I don't want to mess it up, but uh, some smart VC in Silicon Valley says maker time, manager time, or ma- maker partner and manager partner. And the maker obviously is the one creating, you know, whether whether that's, uh, you know, these podcasts, I think I'm more of a creator or it's, uh, you know, creating a new product for Amazon or e-commerce or it's creating a new uh, programming for a SaaS startup, the CTO. And then that's the person, they, they can't be interrupted, right? They can't be on chat on Facebook Messenger and they can't, uh, you know, do sales pitches and um, not saying they can't, but it's also like a different mindset. And then there's the ma- management time, the manager time, the person that's grinding on phone calls, that's, that's uh, doing email outreach, that's doing social media, that's pitching investors, that's getting a big customers, you know, depending on the business, or running the numbers, running the inventory numbers, running the profitability, you know. And maybe some of you are thinking, I can do both. And I tr- honestly, I try to do both. I think I do kind of do both, but it hurts my brain, I swear. I have my maker time in my morning, and then I have my management time in the afternoon where I do the calls and I do, if you talk to me, you know, I notice uh, I usually do calls in the evening or calls in the afternoon. I emails are replied because in my morning is my maker time. It's my creating time. It's, it's my time where I get to work on with my, uh, my team and I get to create all this uh, content. We're making out so many websites and so much content. So it takes that that brain, that side of my brain, I think it's the right side. And then the left side is the, I'm not saying, I'm not sure which is the right side, but the better way is probably have somebody that's dedicated to making all day and all the time and in that mindset all the time. And then there's this other person that's got the mindset of the selling and the biz dev and the numbers and the profitability and the Excel, the garbage man, the businessman, businesswoman, finance. You know, I, I hope I'm not disrespecting anybody I think you're, if you're listening to this, I think you should probably say to yourself, I, oh man, I hope my microphone's not broken. If you're listening to this right now, and you probably call yourself one or the other, right? Are you the, the artist, the creator, the programmer, you know, the maker, or do you think you are the sales one, the, the Excel one, the inventory control one, you know, 
I think knowing yourself and maybe you change, you know, like I think I've kind of gone through phases where I've gone on both sides. Ken seems to have gone on both sides. But I think, you know, if you're one or the other, you have to spend time doing what those types of people do and be really strong in that type of role. And I think that's that's the key because we can't be good at everything. So study and learn. It's also called emotional intelligence in a team where you know who in the team would be responsible to do that thing, right? So something comes into the company, an email comes in, a request from a client comes in. We know who's that person that should be doing that, right? Um, and that person's studying those news articles and those things that are happening in industry following that part of the process, whether it's Amazon PPC or whether it's product development or trade war crap with tariffs. You know, who is the person responsible for knowing these things? And uh, maybe I'm rambling. This is a longer show. Episode 319 of the Global From Asia podcast. We have some more amazing shows coming up. I mean, man, there's uh, more and more requests to come onto the show from from people. And uh, getting lots of good feedback from people. We do try to get iTunes reviews, although I barely, you know, honestly, we don't have so many. But... uh, if you could figure out how to do that, we do have a link in the show notes. And we do have show notes. We have long show notes. We have the image of the guest. We have profiles. We have you know bullet points. We have links to things mentioned. And this one's at globalfromasia.com slash china-ride, R-I-D-E. All right, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. I do appreciate you listening. And uh, feedback is always appreciated. And we are just pushing forward. Thank you and wish you the best. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.